0: Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I'm Jay Dylan Proctor.
1: I'm Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony
0: Alegria. And today in Podcast 45, what exactly are we going to be doing, Anthony? Can you give us an overview? Well, today, first
1: we're going to answer some theological questions ranging from cloning of dogs to the question of whether or not we should decide which sins God should hate. We will then discuss what to wear and what not to wear in church, having a bit of fun and comedy. Then we will wrap up the program with a hot nodder sanctified, and today
0: we will be examining Peregrine Laziosi. Yeah, and we're going to have fun with, with Peregrine Laziosi. We actually do have something interesting here in the middle of the program. There's all this, this looming question. People make excuses, why should we or should we not come to church? They say, well, what do I wear to church? Does it matter? We're going to answer all that, and we're going to have a bit of fun with all that. Though, speaking of having a bit of fun, we're actually live right now, and you may be able to hear a mower in the background. Um, Amanda pointed this out correctly, like one of the things that's just present in life is there's always something you get as a pastor. I think everywhere I go, George is mowing. You go to the hospital to visit someone, George is mowing outside. You go to visit someone at their house, George is there mowing the yard. Um, You go to record something at the church, George is mowing. Um, It's just one of the realities of the world. So anyways, we do apologize for any of the hiccups which come with live streaming, but at the same time, it's really fun. All the same, well, let's get right into these questions, Anthony. Could you go ahead and, and get us started on this? Yes, I can.
1: All right, so, question number one. We don't get to decide which sins God should hate.
2: So what this question I think is really asking is, as our culture and um, different things change and different morals um, in our world change, do we get to kind of tell God then that the virtues that he has given us change as well. And obviously, we can say simply, uh, no, we can't. God is God. And those things are kind of our universal truths. That's what makes them virtues. Um, But we do have to understand, as we've talked before about roaming virtues and things like that, them in their context, how they are connected to God, and that those things do not change. Maybe some cultural expressions might, but ultimately what is true and what is right versus what isn't uh, will remain eternal.
0: Well, as we come to this question, which is really more of a statement, do we get to choose which sins God hates? A lot of times people are very strung up over certain sins in the world, but they're also strung up over certain virtues. And I actually think this same conversation, and Amanda's already gone in this direction, applies to both virtues and vices. We are not to pick and choose which vices to go after and say, this is the worst thing ever. Though in a certain context, in an individual circumstance, if somebody has something plaguing their life, then sure, it's appropriate to talk about that vice and move people away from that. But in terms of overall teachings in the church and what we understand to be orthodox, we are called to embrace fully the transformi- the transformative ministry of Christ. In other words, we do not select which virtues of Christ we like, which vices that are mentioned in the, the New or Old Testament that we like or maybe we don't like. We don't pick and choose the things that we like. We are called to adopt The entire orthodox teaching of of Christ and bring that into our lives and let it replace our own personal dispositions and not just to rebrand our own initiatives as that of God. So we'll leave it there. And so we go
1: to our second question. The cloning of dogs...
2: I like how all these questions are statements, but okay, simply hmm. like, is cloning dogs good or bad? Um, I think scientifically, um, and even morally, and as we look into things like a soul, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with them as long as they're done with good practices and done to the best of the ability of those who are part of the experiment. There's some great um, health benefits and different scientific um, exploration that can happen in this, in those endeavors and cloning of anything, dogs, uh, sheep, or or what else. Ex- as long as they're following some, some good virtues that um, protect the life and the quality of life of everything that's, everyone that's involved.
0: All right, so my thoughts on this are a few things. It's totally a statement, not a question, but that's okay. Um, very interesting statement, though, the cloning of dogs. When we get to the place of, of dogs, the question is, is there sort of a, a closed system of quantity of dogs, or is this... Clone dog going to to be just a reproduction of a dog, or is it taking the place of a new puppy that may be born? Of course, I right now I own a little dog that someone gave me. He's a little Chihuahua esque thing, and he actually has a really good personality. A lot of these little dogs like that are just absolutely wretched little monsters. <laughs> they they yap, they're hoard things. Um, but then again, you get a few that are actually quite nice. Actually, I have um, some parishioners here who have a little poodle who is one of the best little dogs I've seen. Charlie's a good dog. You occasionally find these rare dogs that are just great. And I love Charlie a lot, and I'm like, I would love to clone Charlie and keep him forever, but if cloning Charlie meant that it came at the expense of another dog that may also be good, then I might have a problem with it. So in order for me to really say whether or not it's appropriate to clone dogs or not, I'm going to have to ask the question, is the clone dog taking the place of a new dog, which could potentially also be the best boy, or is it just going to be a reproduction of Charlie? So I'll leave it there at that.
1: And so we come to our final question, which actually is a question this time. Nice. Can you be a true Christian without believing Jesus Christ is God?
2: All right, so this one's really interesting because, again, we look at it and we're like, okay, obviously no, but it was a very important uh, question in the early part of church history as as the church was trying to best articulate and decide about the divinity and humanity of Christ. Uh, nowadays, we have the luxury of over uh, 2,000 years of the, that tradition and scripture and different things like that. Um, but even back then and also today, this is a paramount um, principle of the church. And simply, you cannot be a Christian without Christ. And Christ, Jesus is not Christ unless he is fully human and fully God.
0: Yeah, this is something which really comes up in the conversation of church history because there are a lot of Lingering sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects in the early church, which claimed to be Christians, but a lot of them did not believe Jesus was divine. It was actually quite problematic. There are a lot of heresies going around. There were You can find the Ebionites that were doing this. You find Arianism, another brand of that. It's cropped up a lot of times throughout history where people say, oh, Christ was the Messiah. He was elected the Son of God. You know, they've all got their variation of this. But then when it comes to the question of Christ's divinity, they say, well, he's not really divine. So just to answer this in a very blunt way, yes, it is necessary for one to recognize the divinity of Christ. And I will leave it there. Was that our final question, Anthony? Anthony? <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, man, we're all botched today in terms of vocal things, but that's what's fun about doing things like Yeah, yeah that's the, the fun in it. Well, to wrap up this, this first segment we're going to do today, um, is there any of these questions that we, we feel as if we should expand upon before moving on? I think the the last one, the the whole idea of the heresy, whether or not Christ is divine, I think that one's actually pretty cut and dry. But the question of cloning dogs, I feel like, may not be so cut and dry. Because I really want to know, are we saying that there is a, a fixed quantity of dogs that exist in the world? In other words, if you clone one and it's taking the place of another dog? Because in that scenario, I think I could feel like, no, I, I don't particularly care for that. But if, if it meant that I could have Charlie forever, <laughs> then there's a temptation to say that it's good, but at the same time, we realize that sometimes we, we should not always give in to temptations. I don't know. What do you all think? Just
1: Well, um, one addendum that I would make to the third question, I guess, would be... Um, so this
0: is the heresy question of Christ not being divine.
1: Yes. Okay. Okay. So um, I think it's important to differentiate for people listening the difference between, per se, a true Christian and perhaps someone who is able to receive salvation. Because I okay. know that... For a lot of people, those are one and the same, and I don't know how you guys feel, but um, I feel like you may—is there anywhere that you may want to differentiate there?
0: Well, sure. Salvation is definitely open to, to people who are willing to receive the testimony of Christ. We find people who did not believe that Christ was divine. They called themselves Christians, but they, they were heretics. They weren't really Christians. But we find people like Isidore of Seville. We talked about him, I believe, last week or maybe a week before last. He was a, a saint from the era of the Visigothic kingdom in Europe. And he was a Roman, and he comes together and he helps assimilate the Romans and the Visigoths. But what he deals with is there is a large portion of people who they think they're Christians, but they don't believe that Christ is divine. He has this statement that I just absolutely love where he says, War with vices, but peace with individuals. He comes to them. He still leaves the door of salvation open, but he says you've got to believe that Christ is divine, and then he brings them into the kingdom. So I think salvation is certainly open to those who are, who are willing to, to receive the testimony of Christ, those who are, who are willing to, to receive salvation. But again, we can't rebrand salvation as whatever we desire it to be. We ourselves have to be transformed in accepting of, of the standard of salvation, which has been put before us by Jesus himself. Amanda, would you have anything to add to that?
2: Well, I think we, um, as Christians, and especially in the Nazarene Church, we affirm the idea of prevenient grace. And it's the idea that even if no one hears the specific name of Jesus of Nazareth who walked in the first century uh, Judea, uh, that they can still experience salvation. And so even if their theology would not by any means pass any kind of you know, religion test, that they can experience salvation uh, like uh, Pastor Dylan was talking about. Uh, however, as we learn, and as we investigate, and as we articulate, and the more information we have, we become responsible to make that, to be in line with orthodoxy. Um, so, yeah, so there may be a distinction. You may be, um, but again, you're responsible for the information you have. So there there has to be, I guess, careful wording to your question specifically. But for all of us in this room, and really most of us hearing this, Uh, we have no excuse to to try to say that we can believe but not believe in the divinity of Christ.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a a great distinction to make there. There there are those who who don't (laughs) know anything better, who've never been exposed to a a proper teaching of the gospel, and then there are those who reject proper teaching of the gospel, and those are, are different things. And and we can leave that conversation there.
2: Yeah, and I think, okay, so then let's go on. Uh, Dylan, you asked kind of to expound the idea of the cloning of dogs. Oh yeah. Um, I think that kind of goes into the idea of what we think a soul is. Now with dogs and, and creatures, we, we usually don't talk about that. But obviously when we talk about cloning, there's the question of when it leads into um, humanity. And so that brings in the question of the soul. But when you're talking about, is there a closed loop um, of dogs? more comes into us than simply um biology right so we are who we are because of our genetics but we also are who we are because of our circumstances so you use the example of your your dog charlie charlie could be a drastically different dog if you had him since he was a puppy than versus when you got him kind of through a second or third person that, that um his own he had two or three owners before you um and also is that there's not like some cosmic holding cell for souls and then god gets to kind of put us into a body once they're available is we grow as holistic beings we are mind body and soul uh, we're not three elements we're just one person um and i know that kind of almost gets into various different philosophies but what i'm trying to say is um we're creatures we're and we're important and so i, I don't know it's, i don't think there's a closed loop. Um, and there are limited resources, but if we all use our limited resources to help others, then there wouldn't be a shortage where, because you clone Charlie, another dog wouldn't be able to have that kind of love and care.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at. I, I don't know the answers to any of these, because I'm not sure actually how people go about cloning to get the, the DNA extracted and then put into another dog as, say, a fertile, viable, um, little puppy. <laughs> but I'm not sure the details on the, the logistics of this, but all the same, When we we get to the the question of the soul, because that's really where I feel like this question or statement was going to start with. Because it does start with dogs, you know, cloning dogs, then cloning people. Um, There is this area where we're like, well, where does the soul come into this? And I actually think the soul is one of the things that as a whole, Christians wildly, um, we misunderstand. And I'm not saying that I even have all the answers to it. I think it's something where it's, we talk about the soul, but we don't necessarily have a good definition and understanding of what it is. And especially to Amanda's point, there's this question of, is there like a, a cosmic pool out there where where God's got a, a locker with a, a key and he has all the souls contained there and every so often he slips the key in, turns it and opens it up and, and grabs a few souls and says, well, I'll take these two here and I'll put them over here and maybe this one over here and then I'll leave the other souls up. As the church, we really are put in a weird place when it comes to something like this because there are so many things which are unknown to us, but then at the same time, when we don't have a good developed understanding of what the soul is, we kind of find ourselves fighting in a gray area. So in order to to kind of find some resolution for this, um, we're not going to be able to answer all of the questions that the world throws at us. Technology is definitely advancing faster than we could expect it to. But when it comes to to the questions of the salvation of the soul, because I feel like a lot of times people are, are wondering that what is the eternal relevance of something like this, unmistakably, God is not just this arbiter of the world where everything gets put together like a a clock and then it's set in motion and he has a hands-off approach to it. I don't think that's a a good understanding of the role of God. God is the one who gives life and blesses life. And this does appear in a lot of bizarre and unusual ways. And I don't want us to to have this mentality where God is just sitting around waiting to to pick a soul here and place it there and then to put another one here. Because I think that really... It undercuts the the true value of God's ability to create life and to create beings which they themselves can go in and also participate in the creation of life. Um, creation is definitely a complex thing, and I don't want us to reduce it down to, to God just sitting somewhere with a, a, a key in a locker and just occasionally unlocking it and letting a few things out. Any final thoughts before we move on to our next segment? I'm
2: good.
0: We're all good? All right. Well, the next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna answer the question. What exactly is appropriate to wear in church? Do you ever wonder what to wear to church?
2: So now let's go and talk to some different people and see what they think is appropriate to wear to church. Can I wear a cowboy hat to church? That's perfectly fine. Uh, However, you should be aware that some cultures believe it is appropriate to take off your hat once you get inside the building or when it's time to pray. All right, Athanasius, what do you wear to church? Behind this wall, so I guess it
0: doesn't matter too much. You can be wearing whatever you want. Okay, thank you, Athanasius. What about I, Montanus? Do I get to wear my self indulgent heresies to church, where I get to be the arbiter of the Holy Spirit?
2: Uh, no, Montanus. Your heresies are not welcome in the church, or your beliefs that only you can give the Holy Spirit. Um, So, no.
0: Are we allowed to wear bow
1: ties to church?
0: Well, you see, bow ties find themselves at a weird place in the dominance hierarchy, but there are appropriate times to wear a bow tie. A true gentleman knows there are occasions for a bow tie, and then occasions where a bow tie is a bit weird. So, I have to qualify the answer as saying maybe. If you know the right circumstance for a bow tie, then sure, it is appropriate to wear a bow tie in church.
2: I don't know what that is, but we're gonna go with no. That should not be happening in the church. Can we come to church without terrible French cows? Social Citroën. Oui. Everyone is welcome at church. Um, you just have to be nice to everyone else as well.
0: Ah, oh, yes, papa. Uh, oui. <laughs> we What you wear to church is much less important than the reason why you go to church. Take, for instance, those guys with those creepy masks on who are coming to do some sort of chaos or destruction in the church. Those are reasons not to come to church.
2: Again, it doesn't matter so much what you have or don't have. There should never be reasons for why you don't come or come to church. Instead, it should be about communicating and fellowshipping with the body of believers.
0: And now we're going to play a game of Hot, Not, or Sanctified. And this is an method of us examining church history and learning something about the people and ideas which have come before us. Today, we're going to be talking about Peregrine, and Peregrine's a very interesting character, and then after we hear an overview of him, we're going to come around and decide whether or not this is a positive theological influence or not, so let's go right to the overview. Peregrine Laziozi lived from 1260 to 1345 and is known for being the patron saint of persons suffering from cancer. This patronage is a result of the miraculous healing in Peregrine's own cancerous foot. Furthermore, he was known for being a fervent preacher of the gospel, and he also had an interesting behavior of choosing to stand rather than sit throughout life. As a young man, Peregrine did not possess the attitude towards the church that he would develop later in life. In fact, young Peregrine was involved in politics and was part of an anti-pope movement that was prone to revolting. In the midst of this, the Pope sent a man named Philip Venizi to try to calm the situation. When Philip Benizi arrived, Fairgreen struck him in the face. In response, Philip Benizi turned the other cheek. Fairgreen was moved by this reaction, and he embraced the universal church. After his conversion, Fairgreen went on to become a minister of the gospel. And not only was he known for his preaching, but he also adopted a rather peculiar behavior. Out of penance, Peregrine opted to stand whenever sitting was not absolutely necessary. Traditions hold that Peregrine may have stood for 30 years, only sitting in the rare cases where it was absolutely necessary to sit. As his life progressed, Peregrine developed varicose veins and cancer in his leg and foot. The cancer grew to the point that amputation was deemed necessary. During the night before the surgery, Peregrine devoted himself to prayer, where he fell asleep and experienced a vision. In this vision, Peregrine was at the crucifixion of Christ, and Christ came down from the cross and touched Peregrine in his leg. In the morning, Peregrine's leg and foot were found to be healed. The miraculous healing of Peregrine's leg and foot made him a notable figure in church history, as the miracle points to the nature of God. And now for the question, Hot, Not, or Sanctified? Again, just to clarify how this works, when we say hot, we mean he is a positive theological inspiration. When we say not, we say, well, we don't like him very much, and we don't want him to be our role model. And if we say sanctified, we are meaning that only God's sanctified judgment can decide whether or not Peregrine is a positive theological inspiration or not. Well, let's ask the question, hot, not, or sanctified, you can decide at home. Let's start. We're going to actually go in backwards order today. Normally it goes Amanda, Anthony, then me, but we'll do Anthony first, then Amanda and me. Anthony, what do you think?
1: Alright, so, you know, he might not be the best role model for everybody. He shows a little bit too much leg for that in all of his <laughs> portraits. But, um, you know, just on that, I mean, like, that much leg all the time, you know it's got to be hot. Nah. Alright, he is a good role model. Um, Especially, it takes, I couldn't imagine for every moment in life except for what was absolutely necessary standing all the time. That must have been extremely, I mean, it was tumor-producing stressful so that
0: actually is a lot of hard work, and yeah, um, it takes us to the place. People ask the question, "Is it a tumor?" It's like kindergarten cop. <laughs> it's not a tumor. Well, actually, in this case, evidently, it was a tumor. <laughs> so we're, we we found ourselves in an interesting place there. But yeah, he may not be the the um, stud that Sebastian is, but he does have that leg showing, which gets him there.
1: Yeah. Anyways. that's extra. That's extra hot points. But anyways, the um, and then you know, obviously, of course, um. His miraculous healing, which is pretty awesome. Uh, his conversion is interesting too. He sees a example set by, you know, a righteous Christian. And then chooses to follow that as well. Even though he instigated the problem originally too. So that also implies a little bit of repentance on itself as well. Because like, you know, if you're the instigator of the problem. And then someone else settles the problem in a completely righteous way. You have to sit there and be like, okay, well, I was wrong there. <laughs> so and then that's what he did so that's a really great example it is amanda what do you
0: think
2: well i think you know as anthony was kind of going through it there's a lot happening in the story to kind of um find some great inspiration for um i i enjoy this um concept of, of peregrine uh slapping someone not so much um uh because that's what we should do but um there's other stories of actually saints um slapping heretics and so this is kind of the reverse happening um it's just interesting as we look at our church history uh we christians have not always done well to uh, respond appropriately but in this story um really has and so it shows just this great example um and also peregrine's repentance and then yes there's this weird thing going on in his statues and his iconography where he's always showing his left leg that was healed i mean it makes sense because that's the story that's known about him but um just when you think of of uh, Catholic imagery. Uh, the first thing that comes to your mind is not some guy showing off a lot of yeah, leg A lot of times
0: he's got like his, he's holding like his robe or whatever he's wearing. He, he has different clothes on and do different, um, depictions of him. He's holding it up just a little bit. It's got his hand just sort of pulling it up. Um, so the he's only trying, time, the has yeah, got that are like look like, check skin. out, check out like what I've got going on. So he actually, I know he is somebody who's in ministry. He's obviously preaching, he's he's doing a lot of other things, but, um, it brings us to that point. There is always that person who wants to show you their wound. <laughs> I, know, I know Amanda's experienced this from the, the ministerial standpoint. You, all you want to do is is have a, a wonderful church service, and there's that one person who's like, guess what I've got to show you, preacher? Come on over here. And then they, they start to reveal themselves. And, and,
2: and sometimes they're not an easy-to-show places like a leg yeah. uh, or the lower leg. There, um, there, there are other places that, that make for very awkward conversation. But I think to that point um, where Peregrine has this, this – um, dream and this vision where Jesus comes off the cross to heal him, I think speaks volume to this idea that salvation is not purely spiritual. In our earlier conversation when we talked about cloning dogs and what is a soul, um, salvation, Christian salvation, is not just about saving some abstract concept of a soul it's about saving a whole person and though we do um understand that God doesn't always uh heal like he healed peregrine he just kind of woke up and the cancer was gone that doesn't always happen there are people good Christians that still pass away uh because of cancer but healing still happens and it's still holistic and it, it just i think that's the, the ma- most amazing part of peregrine's story and for our people in our churches even though it can be awkward when they do want to show you their wounds and they're in inappropriate places that to be shown at all, unless you are a um, medical professional. Um, But there are people that are hungry to be healed and holistically Mm -hmm. healed.
0: Sure. And so Anthony said hot. Amanda said hot. I'm here. It's my turn. I'm going to actually make a few (laughs) distinctions. I'm going to make a distinction and say the details we've talked about in Peregrine's life, I think are hot. I think the whole idea of someone being devoted enough to pay penance. I mean, we don't see that in our world very much. Somebody being like, "Well, I did some mistakes as a young person. Now I'm going to stand for 30 years." We um, don't, you don't really see that very often. I think that's an an influential thing. People being committed and them actually understanding the the weight of their actions. I think that's positive. I think even his the inspiration he has to go out and be a a good minister. He doesn't really have much agency when it comes to his healing. He he's not someone who is who is doing a lot of blessing. He is devoted to prayer life. But you see the blessing come from God and that really takes us our attention away from Peregrine himself or Peregrine himself and places that on God and God's healing power. And that I think is definitely hot, the inspiration we can get from seeing God come and work in someone's life. Now, again, I said I'm going to have to make some distinctions because there is one thing I'm going to have to say not about. and that is, I can't say not about Peregrine as a whole because I don't actually know when his endeavors end. In fact, I, I challenge you, go and get on YouTube right now and do a search for St. Peregrine Laziosi and you'll you'll find some interesting videos which will leave you with the question, where is St. Peregrine currently and is he still with us? Because you will find some videos, like we've talked about bone relics in the past. We, I know at least part of the rib cage and maybe even the whole corpse of Peregrine is still with us as a relic. So at that point, I don't know when the, the advents of... Um, peregrine's ministry have ended so i can't say hot or not or even sanctified as a whole because i don't even know when his ministry has ended we we had a particular date when it said that he's passed but you start looking around you see bone relics of him going around and you you're left with this question well how much of him is still left what's he still doing he's kind of got this wonderful place in ministry now where he doesn't even have to prepare sermons he doesn't have to do reading he doesn't have to go look at other people's wounds just wherever they're carrying um he's doing ministry um interesting thing and it brings us back to the whole leg that Amanda was talking about earlier.
2: Oh yeah, so yeah, if the if he if all his relics are still around, is the is the left leg because that's kind of the one that's depicted as being healed. Is the left leg kind of worth more? Does it does it have a little bit more umph uh, of uh, power as far as relics go <laughs> than the other ones? But yeah, um, is there maybe like a third or a fourth left leg um, being carried around? I, I don't know. It's very yeah, interesting.
0: It is. It's an interesting question. <laughs> so I challenge you. I cannot verify it, but go out there and do a search and you'll get on YouTube and do search for St. Peregrine Laziosi and you'll find some videos of a corpse in a casket and it it sort of suggests that it's Peregrine, but I can't verify it. Um, Which leaves us with the question, how much of Peregrine is still with us? (laughs) And anyone out there who is more knowledgeable than I, please give us the answer to that. The world needs to know how much of of St. Peregrine is still with us. And what effects do the do the different bone relics have? I mean, are you sort of lucked out if you were wanting your to visit the, the leg that was healed and then you get the wrong leg? I mean, is that <laughs> I don't know what that means, um in terms of, of one's ministerial authority. Um, in terms of peregrine anyways. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap that up there. Um I really don't know what else to say about that. So it just leaves you a little bit bewildered when you get to the bone relics. That's always a a shocking place to be.
2: Well, and a quick little note on that. When we say bone relics, like when you guys were telling me about this before we saw the YouTube video of, the, the corpse. I was thinking like skeleton, like purely bones. And he's a little bit more juicy than that, just to give everyone a warning. It um, is juicy. <laughs> so uh just, just be forewarned. If those kinds of things scare you, that's probably not the investigation uh direction you should go down. But um yeah, do more investigation about Peregrine and, yes. and
0: his relics. Peregrine has very very juicy things for you to, to look at when you do searches for him. Um, you can add that to the to the mysteries. In the world, you know, we've been wanting to do something fun, like a late night event. That's, um, we actually have some some cameras and stuff capable of doing night vision. You always see people who want to do like paranormal <laughs> um, things. As as ministers, you occasionally get people who come and say, you know, I've got something going on in my life. There's a demon oppressing me. I actually think that would be something that that would be fun to explore in terms of our Kingdom of the Logos content. Um, something that is a, a paranormal endeavor without even getting into the mystics of, you know, ghost poltergeist demons and things like that, which I I think are rather silly, but just dealing with, you know, bone relics in and of itself. I mean, that, that, that's content almost writes itself in terms of paranormal investigation. But anyways, um, everyone can forgive us now. Um, (laughs) I know we, we've broke from tradition a little bit. We've maybe been a bit too comical today The the church boards are waiting outside with their their letters telling us we're all fired. Pitchforks um,
2: and torches, yeah. Yes, the
0: pitchforks and torches are waiting for us, all, all the same. <laughs> Anyways, we thank you for watching. I know it, it's something you do when you have to take time aside from your day. Maybe you download our podcast and carry it with you in the car. We thank you so much for listening to us and spending time with us. Please send us your questions and comments. You can find me on Twitter at jdylanproctor. You can find us, of course, on Facebook, on YouTube. We're also on Tumblr and a few other social media sites. You can find us wherever you pick up your podcast. If you get iTunes, SoundCloud, and the various podcasting outlets, do a search for Kingdom of the Lagos and download us and take us with you wherever you go. If you really, really enjoyed our content, you can help us out a lot by just sharing our content. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, just hit that curved angle, that curved arrow said angle. Again, this is, I don't even know if I can even do an ad for myself at this point, um, but just hit that share button and that will help us out tremendously just sharing our content. If you'd like to donate monetarily, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash kingdomofthelogos. And on that, remember to exhume righteousness, lest our world would bury it and have it eradicated forever. Have a blessed day.